Chapter Two of The Life of Thomas Lord Cochrane, Tenth Earl of Dundonald, Volume One, by Henry Richard Fox Bourne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Chapter Two, eighteen fourteen. The famous and infamous stock exchange trial occupied the eighth and ninth of June, eighteen fourteen, but the sentence was deferred until the twenty-first of the same month in consequence of lord cochrane's demand for a new trial that demand was not complied with in spite of the production of overwhelming evidence to justify it and the victim of lord ellenborough and the tyrannical government of the day was at once conveyed to the king's bench prison no time was lost in heaping upon him all the indignities which in accordance with precedent and in excess of all precedent might supplement his degradation the first was a notice of motion which would result in his expulsion from the house of commons lord cochrane promptly availed himself of the opening thus afforded for a public avowal of his innocence to the honourable charles abbott then speaker of the house he wrote from his prison on the twenty third of june sir runs the letter i respectfully entreat you to communicate to the honourable house of commons my earnest desire and prayer that no question arising out of the late convictions in the court of king's bench may be agitated without affording me timely notice and full opportunity of attending in my place for the justification of my character from the house of commons i hope to obtain that justice which to implicit reliance on the consciousness of my innocence and circumstances over which i had no control have hitherto deprived me the painful situation in which i am placed is known to the house and i trust that i shall be enabled to demonstrate that a more injured man has never sought redress from those to whose justice i now appeal for the preservation of my character and existence in compliance with that request and with parliamentary rules lord cochrane was conveyed from the king's bench prison to the house of commons and allowed to read a carefully prepared statement of his case on the fifth of july the day fixed for investigation of the subject from this statement it is not necessary to cite the clear and conclusive recapitulation of the evidence adduced at the trial or refused admission therein because it was too convincing in proof of lord cochrane's innocence but room must be found for some passages illustrating the independent temper of the speaker and the perversions of justice to which he fell a victim i am not here sir he said to bespeak compassion or to pave the way to pardon both ideas are alike repugnant to my feelings that the public in general have felt indignation at the sentence that has been passed upon me does honour to their hearts and tends still to make my country dear to me in spite of what i have suffered from the malignity of persons in power but sir i am not here to complain of the hardship of my case or about the cruelty of judges who for an act which was never till now ever known or thought to be a legal offence have laid upon me a sentence more heavy than they have ever yet laid upon persons clearly convicted of the most horrid of crimes crimes of which nature herself cries aloud against the commission if therefore it was my object to complain of the cruelty of my judges i should bid the public look into the calendar and see if they could find a punishment like that inflicted on me inflicted by these same judges on any one of these unnatural wretches it is not however my business to complain of the cruelty of this sentence i am here to assert for the third time my innocence in the most unqualified and solemn manner i am here to expose the unfairness of the proceedings against me previous to the trial at the trial and subsequent to it i am here to expose the long train of artful villainies which have been practised against me hitherto with so much success 
I am persuaded, sir, that the House will easily perceive, and every honourable man, I am sure, participate in my feelings, that the fine, the imprisonment, the pillory, even that pillory to which I am condemned, are nothing, that they weigh not as a feather, when put in the balance against my desire to show that I have been unjustly condemned. Therefore, sir, I trust that the House will give a fair and impartial hearing to what I have to say respecting the conduct of my enemies, to expose which conduct is a duty which I owe to my constituents and to my country, not less than to myself. In the first place, sir, I hear in the presence of this House, and with the eyes of the country fixed upon me, most solemnly declare that I am wholly innocent of the crime which has been laid to my charge, and for which I have been condemned to the most infamous of punishments. Having repeated this assertion of my innocence, I next proceed to complain of the means that have been made use of to effect my destruction. And first, sir, was it ever before known in this or in any other country that the prosecutor should form a sort of court of his own erection, call witnesses before it of his own choosing, and, under offers of great rewards, take minutes of the evidence of such witnesses, and publish those minutes to the world under the forms and appearances of a judicial proceeding? Was it ever before known that steps like these were taken previous to an indictment, previous to the bringing of an intended victim into a court of justice? Was there ever before known so regular, so systematic a scheme for exciting suspicion against a man, and for implanting an immovable prejudice against him in the minds of a whole nation, previous to the preferring of a bill of indictment, in order that the grand jury, be it composed of whomsoever it might, should be predisposed to find the bill? I ask you, sir, and I ask the House, whether it was ever before known that means like these were resorted to, previous to a man's being legally accused. But, sir, what must the world think when they see some of those to whom the welfare and the honour of the nation are committed, covertly cooperating with the committee of the Stock Exchange, and becoming their associates in so nefarious a scheme? Nevertheless, sir, this fact is now notorious to the whole world. I must confess I was not prepared to believe the thing possible. Thereupon followed a detailed examination of the charges brought against Lord Cochrane, and of the way in which those charges were handled, special complaint being made concerning the malicious bearing of Lord Ellenborough. It must be in the recollection of the House, said Lord Cochrane, as it is in that of the public, that he urged, that he compelled, the Council to enter upon my defence after midnight at the end of fifteen hours from the commencement of the trial, when that Council declared himself quite exhausted, and when the jury, who were to decide, were in a state of such weariness as to render attention to what was said totally impossible the speeches of the council being ended the judge at half-past three in the morning adjourned the court till ten thus separating the evidence from the argument and reserving his own strength and the strength of my adversary's advocates for the close giving to both the great advantage of time to consider the reply and to insert and arrange arguments to meet those which had been urged in my defence all his treatment by lord ellenborough as lord cochrane urged was of that sort or worse of all tyrannies, sir, he said, the worst is that which exercises its vengeance under the guise of judicial proceedings, and especially if a jury make part of the means by which its base purposes are effected. The man who is flung into prison or sent to the scaffold at the nod of an avowed despotism has, at least, the consolation to know that his sufferings bring down upon that despotism the execration of mankind. But he who is entrapped and entangled in the meshes of a crafty and corrupt system of jurisprudence, 
who is pursued imperceptibly by a law with leaden feet and iron jaws, who is not put upon his trial till the ear of the public has been poisoned and its heart steeled against him, falls at last, without being cheered with a hope of seeing his tyrants execrated even by the warmest of his friends. In their principle, the ancient and settled laws of England are excellent, but of late years so many injurious and fatal alterations in the law have taken place that any man who ventures to meddle with public affairs and to oppose persons in power is sure and certain, sooner or later, to suffer in some way or another. Sir, the punishment which the malice of my enemies has procured to be inflicted on me is not, in my mind, worth a moment's reflection." The judge supposed, apparently, that the sentence of the pillory would disgrace and mortify me. I can assure him, and I now solemnly assure this house, my constituents, and my country, that I would rather stand in my own name in the pillory every day of my life under such a sentence than I would sit upon the bench in the name and with the real character of Lord Ellenborough for a single hour. Something has been said, sir, in this house as I have heard about an application for a mitigation of my sentence in a certain quarter, where it is observed that mercy never failed to flow, but I can assure the House that an application for pardon extorted from me is one of the things which even a partial judge and a packed jury have not the power to accomplish. No, sir, I will seek for, and I look for, pardon nowhere, for I have committed no crime. I have sought for, I still seek for, and I confidently expect justice, not, however, at the hands of those by whose machinations I have been brought to what they regard as my ruin, but at the hands of my enlightened and virtuous constituents, to whose exertions the nation owes that there is still a voice to cry out against that haughty and inexorable tyranny which commands silence in all but parasites and hypocrites. Thus ended Lord Cochrane's written argument. It was followed by a few words spoken on the spur of the moment. Quote, having so long occupied its time, I will not trouble the House longer than to implore it to investigate the circumstances of my case. I think I have stated enough to induce it to call for the minutes of the trial. All I wish is an inquiry. Many important facts yet remain to be considered, and I trust that the House will not come to a decision with its eyes shut. I entreat, I implore investigation. It is true that a sentence of a court of law has been pronounced against me, but that punishment is nothing and will to me seem nothing in comparison with what it is in the power of the house to inflict i have already suffered much but if after a deliberate and a fair investigation the house shall determine that i am guilty then let me be deserted and abandoned by the world i shall submit without repining to any the most dreadful penalty that the house can assign i solemnly declare before almighty god that i am ignorant of the whole transaction into the hearts of men we cannot penetrate we cannot dive into their inmost thoughts but my heart i lay open and my most secret thoughts i disclose to the house i entreat the strictest scrutiny and a patient hearing i implore at your hands as an act of justice and once more i call upon my maker upon almighty god to bear witness that i am innocent he knows my heart he knows all its secrets and he knows that i am innocent Reader's note, end quote. an animated debate followed upon that eloquent address Viscount Castlereagh complained that Lord Cochrane, instead of defending himself, had only libelled Lord Ellenborough and the noblest institutions of the land. Other speakers expressed similar opinions, but others testified to the consistent character of Lord Cochrane, rendering it impossible 
that he should be guilty of the offence with which he was charged and others again confessed that having previously had doubts in the matter those doubts had been removed by the high-minded tone and the powerful arguments of his defence but in the end the house adopted the view set forth by lord castlereagh that its duty was simply to accept the verdict of the court of the king's bench and according to precedent to expel the member declared guilty by that court without daring to revive the question of his guilt or innocence and that it would be better for an innocent man thus to suffer than for the house to assail the bulwarks of english liberty by turning itself into a star chamber or an inquisition and attempting to interfere with the regular administration of justice the proposal that lord cochrane's case should be referred to a select committee was rejected without a division the motion that he should be expelled from the house was carried by a hundred and forty members against forty-four dissidents that new act of injustice however though it added much to lord cochrane's suffering brought him no fresh disgrace it only led to his triumphant re-election as member for westminster under circumstances that were reasonably consoling to him his seat having been taken from him on the fifth of july a great meeting of the electors attended by five thousand people was held on the eleventh it was there unanimously resolved that lord cochrane was perfectly innocent of the stock exchange fraud that he was a fit and proper person to represent the city of westminster in parliament and that his re-election should be secured without any expense to him richard brinsley sheridan his stout opponent at the previous election who was now urged to oppose him again honourably refused to do so and therefore the election passed without a contest but contest would only have added to its glory unless indeed the people overzealous in their expression of sympathy for their representative had been provoked thereby to violent exhibition of their temper even without such provocation the turmoil of the re-election day the sixteenth of july was great angry crowds assembled in the streets and menacing words against the government and its myrmidons were loudly uttered the wisdom of sir francis burdett and other leaders of the popular party however prevented anything worse than angry speech amongst all the occurrences of my life said lord cochrane writing from the king's bench prison to thank the electors for their confidence in him i can call to memory no one which has produced so great a degree of exultation in my breast as this that after all that the machinations of corruption have been able to effect against me the citizens of westminster have with unanimous voice pronounced me worthy of continuing to be one of their representatives in parliament with regard to the case the agitation of which has been the cause of this most gratifying result i am in no apprehension as to the opinions and feelings of the world and especially of the people of england who though they may be occasionally misled are never deliberately cruel or unjust only let it be said of me the stock exchange has accused lord ellenborough has charged for guilty the special jury have found that guilt the court have sentenced to the pillory the house of commons have expelled and the citizens of westminster have re-elected only let this be the record placed against my name and i shall be proud to stand in the calendar of criminals all the days of my life readers note end quote the worst part of the sentence passed upon lord cochrane as has been already said was not carried out the tenth of august had been fixed as the day on which he was to stand in the pillory for an hour in front of the royal exchange but the danger of disturbance among the people and of fierce opposition in the house of commons hindered the perpetration of this indignity some sentences of a letter addressed to lord ebrington deprecating his motion in parliament for a remission of this part of the sentence are too characteristic however to be left unquoted 
"'I did not expect,' said Lord Cochrane, "'to be treated by your lordship as an object of mercy "'on the grounds of past services or severity of sentence. "'I cannot allow myself to be indebted to that tenderness of disposition "'which has led your lordship to form an erroneous estimate "'of the amount of punishment due to the crimes of which I have been accused, "'nor can I for a moment consent that any past services of mine "'should be prostituted to the purpose of protecting me "'from any part of the vengeance of the laws "'against which I, if at all, have grossly offended. If I am guilty, I richly merit the whole of the sentence that has been passed upon me. If innocent, one penalty cannot be inflicted with more justice than another. If the degradation of the pillory was remitted, another degradation quite as painful to Lord Cochrane was substituted for it, his name having, on the 25th of June, been struck off the list of naval officers in the Admiralty. The Knights Companions of the Bath promptly held a chapter to consider the propriety of expelling him from their ranks. That was soon done, and no time was lost in making the insults as thorough as possible. At one o'clock in the morning, on the 11th of August, the Bath King-at-Arms repaired to King Henry the Seventh's chapel in Westminster Abbey, and there, under a warrant signed by Lord Sidmouth, the Secretary of State, removed the banner of Lord Cochrane, which was suspended between those of Lord Beresford and Lord Brent Spencer. His arms were next unscrewed, and his helmet, sword, and other insignia were taken down from the stall. The banner was then kicked out of the chapel, and down the steps by the official, eager to omit no possible indignity. It was an indignity unparalleled since the establishment of the order in 1725. End of chapter 2. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.